This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. I don't know why I would ever drink again. I think is more the the question that I that I pose. Um, of course, uh, you know, never say never. We we just don't know, you know, what life is going to bring us or or happen to us. But I certainly know that each day um, I recommit um, that today is a fantastic day. Welcome to Series 2 of the One Year No Beer Podcast. If you haven't hit subscribe yet, then hit that button so you don't miss another episode. Just before we get started with today's interview, I just want to quickly mention one thing that Jen and I do every day. We were so lucky to come across this brand listening to podcasts just like this. And we are so proud to be sponsored by Athletic Greens. Athletic Greens is literally one scoop of this all-round nutritional insurance, which is made up of no less than 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food source ingredients, including a multivitamin, multimineral, probiotic, green superfoods, scientifically researched and blended together to support and improve energy recovery, immunity, and digestion. It's so easy. You just get down in the morning, plop open that glass, pour in your athletic greens, and pow, you are doing what you need in one scoop. If you want to join us, simply visit athleticgreens.com forward slash O-Y-N-B and join the health experts, athletes, and health-conscious go-getters around the world who are making a daily commitment to their health every day. Again, simply visit athleticgreens.com forward slash O-Y-N-B. Now, don't forget the forward slash O-Y-N-B because this will entitle you to the special deal Athletic Greens have given out to our listeners. A year's supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs will take with you on the go. Once again, athleticgreens.com. Don't forget, O-Y-N-B. Now let's get started with the podcast. Just before we kickstart this episode, I just want to apologize profusely because I've wanted to keep improving the quality of this podcast and there's nothing more important than having really good audio. I know when I listen to podcasts, I want to hear good audio. I want to hear it crisp and crystal clear. And so we've invested time, effort, energy. We've got a great online platform which allows you know, really high quality both sides. When we invite our guests on, we make sure they've got the right equipment. I even go to a studio myself, right? I travel to go to a studio, which is high quality with top microphones, a media board, all of this stuff. And then with this podcast, I clearly, like an absolute idiot, didn't double check that I was using the right microphone. And it's clear that I've obviously, I, I've got the the AirPod not only in my ear, but I've got the headphones, right, the high-quality headphones to listen to my own voice from the high-quality microphone over the top of the AirPods. So my audio is awful, and I just want to say I'm so, so sorry. We thought about cutting it out completely and then, um, you know, just having the guest voice, but, you know, um, it wasn't really going to work. So I've included the whole thing here, and I'm sorry. Please forgive me. It's muffly, and it's just not good quality. Um, and again, I apologize for that. I, what an idiot. Um, really, really. I won't make that mistake again. So anyway, without further ado, um, this is a brilliant podcast. Forget what I say anyway. It's irrelevant. Um, what, what she says is what's important. An amazing guest. So enjoy. And again, I'm sorry.
Welcome to another awesome episode of the One Year No Beer podcast. I'm Rory Fairbairns, and today we are joined by another inspirational guest uh, and a One Year No Beer member, Rebecca Brown. Now, Rebecca has spent the last 36 years as a mental health clinician, a um, huge amount of experience in trauma and um, you know, uh, psychological first aid, equine assisted therapy, um, a very, very talented lady, and also changed her relationship with alcohol through One Year No Beer. So we're very excited to have um, Rebecca on the podcast. Rebecca, how are you? I'm very well, thank you, Rory. Lovely to see you, and it's an honor to be here. Yeah, it's great to, great to have you on. So, um, Rebecca, why don't you give us a little bit of background into um, who you are? Absolutely, thanks. Well, like you said, um, I have a master's degree in social work. I have spent most of my career, which, as you mentioned, is I'm in my 36th year, and uh, my career wove me through a number of different settings. Trauma was definitely the predominant theme. Um, I worked for mm -hmm over 20 years in child protection services and uh, learned wow. uh, about as much as I can about uh, trauma and attachment and how to deal with life and, um, and also how to cope both positively and not so positively. And my journey took me to a place where um, I spent a lot of time working with other people in the field of trauma, first responders, healthcare workers, um, and what I started to notice is that a lot of us had a theme of numbing out this very difficult work that we do. And, like many, and uh, like many, alcohol was one of the tools that I kind of chose to help me just numb out from the very difficult work that I did. And uh, until it started to become a problem of its own. And like I've said that, uh, you know, many of us kind of have that slogan that alcohol wasn't my problem, alcohol was my solution, until alcohol became <laughs> a problem. So that's yeah. where I found myself. But also, like a lot of people that, um, and I don't know, um, I, I know from the One Year No Beer community that there are a lot of people s with similar stories to mine. They're successful, high achieving, accomplished in almost every aspect of their life, or so it looks from the outside, yet there's this secret kind of spiraling pattern that's been happening around numbing out with alcohol to the point that we realize maybe I need to do something about my alcohol use. And that's where I found yeah. myself um, about three years ago. Joining One Year No Beer. Okay, well, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that. Um, but <clears throat> I was recently listening to a wonderful podcast um, all based on neuroscience and um, and um, they were talking about, it's, it's the professor of neuroscience at Stanford, um, the Huberman Lab, such a great podcast. If you get a chance to listen, it's worth listening to. And he just did an episode about alcohol. Um, and he was specifically talking about how over time, regular alcohol consumption actually affects what it does to those neural pathways in the brain and the way the brain operates. And I'm not going to go into all the buzzwords he used because I'm not a neuroscientist, but it actually depletes your ability to handle stress over time so you, you so so we're taking it for stress we're taking it for numbing out um which is very common it's the most well used drug for that in society today right but what it's actually doing is consistently making it worse in the long term long term and i wonder if a big part of what people get to and of course this this happens over time, right? You, it takes time to, to change the brain. Um, but I wonder if a big part of people getting to the point where they're like, right, I need to do something about my relationship with alcohol is because it has really depleted. It's no longer serving its purpose at all. In fact, you've got to a place now where you almost can't cope. And that's driven predominantly by this regular alcohol consumption. It's just nuts, isn't it? It's nuts. And I wonder for, for, for people like you, in, 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 you know, of which I don't know how many people there are like you in the world, but there are, I mean, there's nobody like you, of course, but I'm talking about who work in those kind of places, you know, with trauma and, and, and real traumatic events, right, of people. That's fire services, police, it's mental health nurses, it's doctors, right? What, what coping mechanism, what coping systems are they being given, right, other than 
you know, yeah. go and have a drink on, <laughs> on a Friday. Oh, absolutely. And in fact, within a lot of these communities, as you said, first responders, healthcare workers, um, the sort of the heroes of our society who we actually put up on this pedestal, these are the people we turn to to help all of us when we're in crisis. Yet where do they turn and what do they do? And being on a pedestal is a very lonely place to be. And there's only one place to go, and that's usually down and with a crashing spiral down sometimes. And that's what I found myself in was that position. I'm also married to a physician. We live in a small community. And so the options of or the traditional options of what can I do, who can I talk to when I'm supposed to be that person that other people come to to talk to to help. So the idea of going into you know, a, a church basement and walking in and saying, I have, I have an addiction issue or I have a, really just felt terrifying and then further mm-hmm. isolating. And so imagine if you are a police officer, a physician, uh, a politician, uh, a member in society who people know, first of all, public position, but also a position where you should know how to deal with this. Yeah, it yeah. is extremely isolating for so many of us. Very difficult. And I think and I, that perpetuates the shame and the spiral that we can get into. Exactly. I should know better. And, and there's a real disconnect between intellectually, evidence-based. We know this information around what alcohol does to our brain, all of what you've just said. Yet the reality is I, I'm still having issues with this. And just knowing what to do and being able to do something are, you know, if there's a very, wide gap. Very different. <laughs> Very different. Well, exactly. It's it's like a Grand Canyon in between knowing what to do and, and then how to take that first step. And I found myself at that point. And, and again, I think these things all just happen at the, the moment that they're meant to happen in life. It was a Saturday morning. I tend to, um, you know, have a bit more time on a Saturday morning. Like a lot of people, I was on Facebook. I was, you know, wishing people happy birthday and catching up. And then something mm-hmm. caught my eye and it was this one year, no beer Facebook page. I don't even drink beer, Rory. So I don't know why it caught my attention. So I'm not a beer drinker. It, 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 it wasn't that, but I just, for some reason, got drawn into a, a story and then another story and another story. And I went, oh my goodness, there are other people who are like me, feeling that sense of secrecy, shame, I don't know what to do, I'm stuck, and and just, and I felt like I'd found a place where I could just exhale and breathe and be among people who got it. And it was literally within about an hour of, for the first time, seeing the Facebook page and saying, I think this is, this is where I need to be right now. So I took the 90-day challenge. I thought, okay, it was May the 4th. 2019. And I was about to, I could see, you know, as many people do the summer months coming ahead. I live in a beautiful area in Canada, on the shores of Lake Huron, people come to our home um, for their vacation, we we welcome people up here. And there's a lot of social drinking that comes with being on vacation and relaxing. And I thought, on the 4th of May that for 90 days, if I just take this challenge to cut down on my drinking, I wasn't even sure that I was ready to completely stop drinking. That seemed too scary and too overwhelming. But I thought maybe for 90 days, I can just challenge myself to drink less. And I took that mm-hmm. challenge and and then it was on. <laughs> and I am like a lot of people that I've come to know in the, in the one year no beer community, we're quite um, competitive with ourselves, we're driven. As I said, we are these high achieving, you know, we, we, we get stuff done. We, we are successful in our lives. Yet there's this other element that feels out of our control. Because of course, alcohol is an addictive substance. And so starting to change my conversation around alcohol and, and feeling very empowered versus feeling out of control was a real shift that I noticed right away. Mm-hmm. And and here I am, um, 90 days turned into a year, turned into, and then the pandemic hit about seven or eight months after I'd started to take this challenge. I'm also so thankful that I started my journey on changing my relationship with alcohol before the pandemic hit. 
because I know I already had, I already had coping. So I already had that out of my life for a good mm, a good yeah. few months, and then the pandemic hit. And then people started really looking to me to how do we cope? How do we cope? And I was in a better place to be able to offer authentic, um, grounding advice on what we need to do to to be present. And alcohol was already not a tool in my toolbox, so I felt authentically yeah. I could help people from from that place wonderful well done wow I'm sure you made a difference to many um, than, uh, and then being able to shine a light for them like that in the pandemic which was devastating for many um, absolutely and it has really increased people's drinking because you know I saw that first sort of six months uh, to a year where people in the early stages of the pandemic we're trapped at home. We're we're scrambling, and alcohol was definitely. I mean, people were were having Zoom coffee breaks at ten o'clock in the morning with you know with a little something in their coffee to That's to right. start the yeah. day. And and while it seemed kind of you know fun and cheeky in the beginning, it really started mm. to become a problem for so many um, very quickly. And um, so again, thank goodness that I was a few months ahead of that. And now so, here I am I mean, three years later. Amazing, amazing three years. Um, you know, really, really well done. It's, it's uh, huge. And, and so what, for going ahead for you, are you like, I'm never drinking again? Or is it something you're just not drinking just now? Where's your head in? Oh, I, now that I am so much further down, down this path, I don't know why I would ever drink again, I think is more the, the question that I, that I pose. Um, of course, uh, you know, never say never. We, we just don't know, you know, what life is going to bring mm. us or, or happen to us. But I certainly know that each day um, I recommit um, that today is a fantastic day. I want to be authentically present uh, to experience all of it, the good, the bad and the, you know, and the, the wonderful. And uh, and I, I can't I can't deal with the life um that's before me, if I mix it with alcohol, I've realized that alcohol is absolutely nothing. It, it gives me nothing to, to cope with. In fact, it takes more away. And I've also been able to shift and look at all the things that I've gained in my life and all the thi- and, and why would I risk losing that um, by introducing alcohol? Amazing. Again? Amazing. In fact, I, in fact I'm, I, I want to just share with you, um, this just came out um, on Monday this week, uh, the end of August, the Canadian Centre for Substance Use and Addiction has just put out some new guidelines uh, on um, alcohol consumption, and they've cut their recommendations in half. So, uh, wow. you know, and in, in also they're recommending putting warning labels on alcohol beverages, right. so similar to cigarettes. And so this is a yeah. huge, a huge Step change. Forward. And, what's what's uh, it cutting and down that, to? What's the unit that's cutting down to? They are recommending, um, obviously they're recommending um, no alcohol consumption, but certainly low exactly. alcohol consumption. Two drinks per week um, is would be the, their recommendation. However, if you have three to six drinks per week, then they start listing out your increased risk of developing certain cancers, um, particularly breast and colon cancers. If you have seven drinks or more per week, so again, seven drinks, that's one a day, um, then yeah. you're actually increasing your risk of developing um, heart disease um, and stroke. And then from there, you know, they break it down. It's it's chock full of evidence wow. and research to back all of this up. Um, they've got guidelines that's, for that's men, amazing. guidelines for women. Yeah. Um, it's I need, really I need to get my hands on that and I'll, I'll publish a link to that in the show notes Absolutely. and make sure everybody has access to it. Thank you very much for that. Now, I, I just want to go, go back a step because from everything I've learned over the last eight years or nine years on this journey, um, that obviously alcohol is a symptom and, and it's showing up in our lives for a reason. Now, you are very experienced in many of the areas that are often the reasons or the causes behind this trauma um, and, uh, and, and, and things like that. You have a lot of experience in that place. So what, what, what I'm wondering is, 
other than just not drinking, right, which is one thing to do, if you just not drink, I would put good money on the fact that this symptom will show up in another area of your life. And, you know, the easiest one to bury into is work addiction, um, but there's everything else um, that you could you could swap it with. So, you know, not necessarily going completely personal, but what did you discover? What, what was what was causing this? What have you found out? How did you make it shift for you um, in, in everything you understand? Like what did you, other than just, okay, this is a coping mechanism for the work that I do. Well, if that's the case, what are you doing differently now to cope with work? Um, yeah. Great Give question. Give me a bit more insight into your discovery. Great question, because... What we, knew is, what we know is that change is difficult for so many reasons. And if you take something away, so if you, if you remove alcohol, then there becomes this sort of place or void within you that you almost need to fill that with something else. So I, I compare it to if you're swinging through the jungle and you suddenly let go of one vine, you need another one that's going to support you in this journey. So what are you going to replace alcohol with if you suddenly take that out? Similar to when people um, quit smoking, um, having something to fill that space and that time that they spent smoking. So this is where we bring in some of those coping strategies that are positive coping strategies. Again, the insight into why was I drinking? What was I trying to numb out is the work that has to be done as well too. So I think adding in some really um, helpful and perhaps professional counseling at the same time versus just stopping drinking and doing it on your own. So filling that space in your life with a support program, similar to one year, no beer, uh, individual therapy, also uh, reading, but doing something um, to also fill in that space that the drinking used to take up. All the things that I hear all of you, Jen and yourself and and all of your guests talking about on your podcast, mindful meditation, being able to slow down the spinning and spiraling thoughts that can come with whether it's a, a background in trauma, whether it's just a very stressful life that we're all living right now, whether it's the fear of being out of control based on the, the what's happening in the world right now. So being able to quiet that mindful meditation. Um, I say that mindful meditation is one one end of the spectrum and then activity and exercise is the other. So slowing our heart rate down is one coping strategy, ramping our heart rate up and getting rid of the adrenaline and the cortisol that come with stressful situations and being triggered through trauma. Um, so exercise is medicine when it comes to depression, anxiety, stress. And when you've taken alcohol out of your life and your body is craving something that's going to light up that part of your brain, the endorphins that you produce when you're exercising, running, cycling, working out, um, can also give you that endorphin high that you're missing from the alcohol as well, too. So I get people when I'm doing this this counseling with people, even whether they're deciding to, to change their relationship with alcohol or whether they're just looking for new ways to cope with life, all of these things are part of it. And, but in particular, when you remove alcohol from your life and the big behavioral components that, that it takes up, it's putting something in its place so that you don't have this incredible void. Does that make sense? Completely. Yeah. Um, and and um, wholeheartedly agree. And I think, I think the, the very act of removing alcohol gives us a window from which actually to work much deeper on ourselves. And, and um, so, you know, that's like the encouragement. If ever there's a time to go all in on discovery, on finding out about yourself, on healing and working on some of this stuff, it's when you remove booze, just go to town because you'll get so much, um, so much more to shift. Absolutely. Um, so, uh, so in your work in trauma, um, and trauma is such an interesting thing, or something I'm obsessed about is, you know, understanding that addiction is a response to trauma. Um, and again, the other one I firmly believe is that connection is uh, sort of the opposite of addiction is connection. So I love those two. And I think that an awful lot of what is missing is a, is, is a disconnect with ourselves um, as a primary thing and then, a, and then a connection with others as a secondary to that being the, the part of this. And of course, this stuff comes back up from trauma. Trauma actually not being 
you know, not necessarily needing to be some massive, crazy sexual event that happened with an uncle, right? Oh, I don't have that, therefore I don't have trauma. It's an experience, uh, a perceived experience in the eye of the beholder. Anyway, I'm Absolutely. giving you my waffle. I want to hear yours. So your experience with trauma and then, you know, how it relates to alcohol. And for anyone listening, you know, perhaps maybe just go into a bit about your experience of helping people shift past trauma. Oh, Wow, how much time do we have? <laughs> um, and I think you, you raised a really good point, Rory, that um, trauma is such a big, scary word for a lot of people. And I am amazed uh, almost every time that I start working with somebody, if I bring up the word trauma and I say, tell me, what, tell me what's happened in your life. Um, I love, uh, he's a fellow Canadian, uh, Dr. Gabor Maté. I'm not sure if you've had him on, but I, I think you've quoted Gabor uh, many times. And, and, uh, and I've, um, I've met Gabor, I've been to conferences of his. And so his work on trauma, I think, is, is really helpful. So I really encourage people to, um, you know, to, 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 to go there. But trauma, so great, as you there's say, there's a great movie there in Netflix. I think it is uh, the Wisdom of Trauma. Actually, it's not Netflix, but you can go to the Wisdom of Trauma. Um, it's Gabor Mate's movie, yeah. um, and it is uh, absolutely phenomenal. So, yeah. yeah. Sorry, carry on, Rebecca. Did you know that we offer loads more support? Yes, I'm talking about time with coaches, Zooms, meeting other people, locking eye to eye, meeting awesome OIMBers who are on the same inspiring journey as you. All of those things are available in AFM. We created AFM as a close, small community that is really there to help people master changing the relationship with alcohol. So if you're looking for a little bit more support, you want to meet more OYMBers, or you just want to take your alcohol-free journey to the next level, then check out oneyearnobeer.com forward slash AFM. And if you put in the discount code PODCAST10, capital letters, podcast 10 will get you 10% discount of joining AFM. So he was one of the first people that I heard use that term. Um, instead of asking somebody what's wrong with you or what's wrong, ask mm. the question, what's happened to you? And that's where yes. I start all the time. Tell me your story. Tell me what's happened yeah. to you. Let's take the word trauma out of that. And also, there's small T traumas and big T traumas. And what happens is, quite often, the big T traumas, as you said, the catastrophic, the horrific, the violence. And again, I'm going to keep this a very safe, I don't want to trigger anybody, but we all know and hear about those incredibly big T traumas. Those get all the attention. Those get all the help. Those get all the support. Those are people wear those outside um, and people flood and help with the big T traumas. It's the small T traumas that have happened over and over and over in our lives. It's the feeling of I'm not good enough. I don't matter. Um, the childhood things that perhaps weren't big T traumas, but they were small enough, little cuts. So again, it's that death by a thousand cuts that is more often the issue with people. Because quite often people will say, no, I really, I had an okay childhood. I really haven't had anything significant happen in my life. But then when I ask them to start telling me the story, tell me a time when you felt scared. Tell me a time when you felt really out of control. And we start hearing from people that those memories are still within the body and those can be triggered over and over and over again. So sometimes it's those that, um, that are what we're trying, trying to quiet with, with alcohol because we also have this self-talk that can happen where we, we don't give ourselves permission to, um, to ask for help. For a lot of those things that are just small hurts, but there's a collection and there's a cumulative building up of lots and lots of small things, rejections, feelings of abandonment, not getting promoted, losing a job, um, having a spouse leave. All of those things are also small T traumatic events, big T traumatic events for some people. And we need to be able to process each of them. So when I talk about healing trauma, it's first of all, it's about an awareness of where in my life, are all of those things staying in my body? And what am I doing when they get activated? And usually people are trying to numb them out, and push them down. It doesn't matter. Those are such small things. I shouldn't make a big deal out of it. 
that's where I want people to really do that kind of a work and recognize um, where those keep showing up in our lives. Yeah, um, thank you. And I, uh, I'm speaking specifically to all of those people now, which there will be lots who are like, look, I'm quite happy keeping that stuff where it is. Thank you very much. And, and I know that some people are very, very frightened of opening Pandora's dot box. In fact, cripplingly frightened. Absolutely. And so for somebody who, who let's just go with that, right, Rebecca, somebody who knows that alcohol is showing up negatively in their life, they know there's, there's something in the past, they, they've got some memories, but they'd quite like to just leave them there, thank you very much, and are you know, fearful slash crippled with fear about going into this. What would you say to somebody in that situation? First of all, I would say you're not alone. And... It's a choice to talk about it and bring those memories to the forefront and allow them out to the, to the light of day. It's also a choice to keep them tucked away, locked away, and buried in a place within us. What's important is recognizing that you have control. And a lot of what happens to survivors of trauma, victims of trauma, small T or big T, is that we feel helpless. We feel helpless and hopeless. And so giving somebody that power and control to say, hmm, I don't want to feel helpless anymore. That's just perpetuating that feeling of not having control. So it's a choice to keep all that stuff in a safe place locked away. However, the research overwhelmingly tells us again and again by denying and pushing down and avoiding or denying difficult emotional memories doesn't make them go away. They just stay buried. And like anything toxic, the more it stays buried, the more it ferments. And so I like giving people little exercises and, and tools to help them just talk a little bit. Sort of start at the outer, start at the outer edge and then come in a little bit and come in a little bit and come in a little bit. And when it gets too difficult, we take some time and we heal right there. So again, it, it's, I love working in metaphors. And so giving people permission to take that information that's too difficult to even think about thinking about, putting it perhaps in a very airtight, locked box, but bringing it out of your body and putting it on the shelf and then having freedom in your body to just relax because you don't have to carry that anymore. So again, sometimes it's these, these metaphors that can allow people to say, okay, I can do that. I cannot talk about yeah. the horrible stuff because trauma therapy is not reliving and retelling the story over and over again. And I think that's well, what actually, you say actually it's terrifying. Now, yeah, I mean, the science is now saying that that is actually worse. Um, the, the, uh, reading up on some recent trauma Absolutely. research. Um, just to say that, 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 again, we've shown it with virtual reality. We've shown it that, that um, the brain doesn't perceive the difference between the imagined and the real. And that when you go back into these traumatic experiences, exactly. you're reopening those, those wounds, recreating those neural pathways. So it's actually, you know, in cases, you're, you're deeply going into it, making it worse. So I think there's, there's a lot of, we've got a lot more to go with trauma and trauma healing, yeah. but I absolutely agree with what yeah. you just said. Yeah. And, and again, without going into it too, too much, it, it's so connected with, with the feeling of being out of control. And when we feel like we are out of control, even thinking about our memories, we want to avoid and deny and push them aside. When we feel like we're out of control with our alcohol use, we can want to just not talk about it don't, you know, and push it aside. So anything or any time that we're feeling like we don't have control over something, there's a point to start exploring that. What I like mm. people to feel is a sense of being back in control. Maybe you need somebody to help guide you and hold your hand along that journey so you're not facing it alone. But that sense of empowerment, and that's what I love so much about One Year No Beer. It's the complete opposite philosophy of saying, I'm giving my power over. I, I feel helpless and out of control. <laughs> um, and, and, and using labeling um, pathologic, like clinical terms like yeah. addiction, alcoholic, recovery, alcoholic. Yeah. sober. Mm -hmm. None of those words 
feel like they don't feel authentic to me. Just because I have chosen to not drink um, doesn't necessarily mean that I am, you know, that I have an addiction issue, that I'm alcoholic, that I had a problem with alcohol. Just like I'm choosing not to use crack cocaine doesn't mean I had a product. I'm making a choice not to use an addictive substance. I choose not to smoke tobacco. Never had a problem with tobacco. I just know it is not a substance I want. So I choose not to eat meat. Um, doesn't mean I had a meat problem. I'm making a choice. So all of these things, if we can flip them upside down and inside out and look at them from a different perspective. And that's what I love about when you know beer, we can talk about these concepts without feeling that there's, you know, something flawed with us. It's an addictive substance. You know, all of these reports that we're getting are showing the evidence in the medical data that says, finally, finally, exactly, finally. So... So that's, no, that's the, the, that's the way that I approach trauma. Yeah, it's exciting. Um, uh, I'm sorry, there was a small delay between us. That it's not that I'm no. just being rude, talking over the top of you, but we have, a, we have, a, we have, we do have a small delay. <laughs> um, but um, it, it is, it, you know, it, it, it's amazing. Um, I've lost track, but so hopefully, um, I'm just going to make a loud noise so we can trim that. Thank you. Okay. Um, in the so you, in the beginning of sort of removing alcohol, you know, as a mental health clinician and and you're passionate about your work, I know you really dove into the subject of alcohol, and then so you have this sort of real under deep understanding of trauma, uh, mental health, and then you were starting to understand alcohol. What were some of your greatest insights um, that I guess blew your blew your mind and 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 led to you saying, you know what, I'm never adding that again? What do you think? What, what did you discover? Oh, goodness. Um, I think what I, what surprised me the most, and it was very soon after I stopped using alcohol, I was under the assumption that alcohol helped with anxiety. And like many people, um, I do, I do experience anxiety. Um, I usually can recognize in my body when I'm feeling anxious, um, the typical signs and symptoms of that. And I really thought that the alcohol was helping to to subdue that and calm and quiet my anxiety. So in the evenings, um, I would have a couple of drinks, glasses of wine, and I would feel myself starting to relax. I thought what that feeling was, was my anxiety dampening and being quieted. But what actually was happening was temporarily, yes, the alcohol was subduing that sense of, of anxiousness. But over the next few hours, when I would go to bed, then I would fall asleep and, of course, the alcohol would be, um, you know, diluting from my bloodstream. And then I would wake up in the night with the anxiety back even worse than previously. Because what, in fact, was happening was as my body was, uh, the alcohol was slipping away from my body, it was craving more. It was craving that feeling of, I want to numb this out. I want to. And so then it was this perpetuating that I thought alcohol was quieting my anxiety. In fact, it was making it worse, but it was showing up differently. And so probably within about a week of completely cutting alcohol out of my life, I realized that I wasn't waking up in the night as often. Uh, I was able to fall asleep more easily and and deep restorative sleep. So that was one of the most amazing things that I noticed very quickly. Yeah, amazing. And well done to you. So, and then you um, amazingly decided during not only the, the pandemic, but you know, changing your relationship with alcohol, that you were going to go and write a book. Um, so <laughs> congratulations. Um, do oh, you like to tell you. us a bit about your book? Okay, thank you. Yes, this also um, happened in the early stages of the pandemic where all of a sudden I had to work from home. And luckily, because I talked to people for a living, I could do that through phone calls and Zoom. So my work continued, but I also very intentionally wanted to do something with the rest of my time because I couldn't go anywhere, couldn't get out. Um, And I started reading, reading, reading. So I read even more and I kept gravitating to the amazing books on alcohol and and changing your relationship Mm. with alcohol. And then I realized maybe it was time to tell my own story. And so I started writing just stories, my own stories. And then before I knew it, they started to become chapters. And then it fell into a pattern and a sequence. And my husband was wonderful. And he said, you need to publish your story. 
And then I decided, okay, I'm going to figure that out. So my story is called Shelter from Our Secrets, Silence and Shame, How Our Stories Can Keep Us Stuck or Set Us Free. And it's all right there in the title. All of what we just talked about, Rory, that sense of we all have a story um, and behind our stories can be secrecy and silence and shame. And that can either keep us very stuck or it can set us free. So that really was the premise of which I wanted to write my story. And I also wanted to write a book that had all of the helpful books and resources that I have gleaned over the last 20 or so years on things like trauma, divorce, um, parenting, uh, stress, all, and my relationship with alcohol. So, so I was able to then include all of that. And I have an entire chapter dedicated to just this conversation. How did I realize that I needed to start looking at it? One year, no beer came into my life. How, what happened after that? And um, so, yeah, so I published a book uh, in early 2022. And it's, it's got some, um, some really wonderful feedback from people that are saying, thank you so much. I include all kinds of things in there. The Adverse Childhood Experience Questionnaire and study that for you, as you mentioned, for the people who are afraid of even talking about the word trauma, there's some really gentle, compassionate ways of looking at perhaps some of those small T traumas that you don't even acknowledge as being traumatic events in your life. And so people have, I've been amazed at how many people have reached out to me individually and said, oh my goodness, this is, this is like a guide map to help me on my journey that's a very similar journey. And so that really um, was was why I wrote the book. And I'm so thrilled to be able to give credit back to One Year No Beer um, for helping me on my journey and helping so many others. Amazing. Thank you so much, Rebecca, you know, um, for, for doing that. I think um, I often think about the wider impact of One Year No Beer. You know, there's, of course, the impact that, uh, you know, for individuals who are who are having milestones and celebrating into the community. And then people who leave us trust pilot reviews and Google reviews and people who send in emails. And um, that's how we, we see the impact of people. It's hard for us to quantify the impact other than those roots. And then beyond that is the people who then go on to do something. We, we look at all the things that have been birthed. I mean, I know we have some one-year no-beer babies. Right? So we, we, we've had a, a, a couple who were told after five rounds of IVF that they would never get pregnant naturally. He had two wow. lower swim camps and 100 days into our challenge, and they were pregnant. Oh, um, fantastic. It, it, it's yep. ridiculous if, if you think about pregnant naturally, right? Not with IVF. And, and if you think about the pain and the anguish and the frustration of five rounds of oh, IVF. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. and, and why didn't somebody say to them before, like, stop drinking? What's wrong with the world? But anyway, Absolutely. Um, but, Absolutely. But, but so then we've got, you know, people who've gone on to become coaches or, um, you know, they've, 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 we've got a few, a handfuls of people. In fact, more than that, we probably have, I would say, close to five or six, six books um, that, that have had a, a lot of dedication to one year from the from their creation. And um, so there's the wider impact, you know, how many people will read your book? How many people will decide to change their relationship with alcohol? And it's not just that. It's the people who come through the program, right, and then talk about it in their, in their communities or with their friends. Yes. And you know, it might not be resonated on the first, first go. That's fine. But then, you know, six months later, your friends might be up for it. <laughs> so, absolutely. But absolutely. It is, it's an amazing thing. And, and I think, you know, I am amazed how now – um, it's just, it, it's just comfortable language. Uh, I think initially and, and for a lot of people at the early stages of their journey. And again, I have to remind myself in those first 30 days, first 90 days, those really were the hardest. Um, now it's easy. Um, mm. but I, but I, I still go back and I, I, I did, uh, you know, keep a journal and, and log sort of what I was going through. And again, uh, the, the first time you get through anything, the first time uh, you go to a wedding, the first time you, especially at a wedding, because there's so much alcohol flowing and dancing and, and that's so connected with, um, you know, that, that lifestyle. And I remember 
it was only this past year that we went to our first wedding that I've been alcohol free. And I still had that feeling of, I don't know what it's like to dance without a couple of glasses of wine. And Mm. turns out that I can dance just as badly as I always did with without alcohol. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, um, so again, it's it's that's not a really big one for people. That's a really it, big right? one. Right? You know, yes. It, it, for many people, it's like sober dancing is the is it because we've been it's so learned, right? Before you dance, that you drink tank up enough to get the courage to go and let loose on the dance floor. Yeah. Um, and then what yeah. an experience dance is without you know, to be free and to be enjoying it for enjoying its sake and be completely with the music and taking it all in. It's, it's, a, it's a much richer experience. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and that's the thing. It's, it's that being authentic and being present to feel all of it. Um, you, you feel, you do feel the lows, but that's what all of these other coping strategies we talked about, but you feel the highs in Technicolor. You really, really do. And I think very like, like, like you've talked about, like other people have talked about, it's really quite a social experiment to sit back at some of these gatherings and watch people's behavior when they are drinking and to realize, Completely. oh my goodness, that, that used to be me. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Um, as I said, I, I live in a, in a very, uh, a beach community, uh, the beach behavior with people, mm. you know, drinking. I, I can remember you know, not that long ago, we, we walked the beach uh, every evening as the sun's going down. And I used to always have a, my beach wine glass as I would walk the beach at sunset. And I think, what? Yeah. That's crazy. And so to step <laughs> back now and say, now I just walk the beach to enjoy the beach. I don't have to in any way. In fact, alcohol yeah. just would, would blur that. So yeah. it's it really quite interesting to to sit back and say, wow, I missed so much because of the alcohol. Now I'm experiencing all of it. Amazing. Well done to you, Rebecca. It is, you know, that's the thing, the, the mindset shift is so huge. You know, I, oh. I don't think for one second you went into this thinking that you were going to feel and think how you do now. You were yeah. like, hey, I just want to try and reduce and change this. And I need a better coping strategy. And what unveils itself once you remove alcohol is just astounding, isn't it? It's really, and this has got to give hope to everyone because, you know, even in, in the early days, it feels like a chore. It feels difficult. It feels yeah. painful, right? Why am I doing this? All of these things. I don't really know what the benefits are the other side. Okay, so I might feel a bit better or a little bit calmer, but I mean, what's really there? But then when you get to the other side and you've had this full mindset oh. shift, you're like, I just yeah. wouldn't want to go back. And that's so powerful. Yes, yes, yeah. And I think also me being more comfortable and open about my own story, the number of people that I work with um, personally that, that I either see in our clinic or that reach out to me and have said to me, oh my goodness, if, if you felt out of control with the alcohol, I don't feel so badly. It's not. In fact, like, that's what I, the one year no beer community is so good about is these are all people who are not struggling. We don't we don't fit a stereotype of an alcoholic, and, and I and I know it's so complicated with the with the messages we get from society. But no, this is us. This is this is all of us at some point um, can be struggling with the the impact of an addictive substance like alcohol. So when people say to me, "Oh my goodness, Rebecca, if you were struggling, I don't feel so bad." Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. So um, my husband, who is a physician, as I said, he hasn't cut out his alcohol use, but he has cut down um, significantly. I mean, we used mm. to share a bottle of wine for dinner, you know, b- bottle of wine yeah. almost every evening between the two of us. When I stopped drinking wine, he pretty much stopped drinking wine. And it turns out I was the one who was opening the wine, giving him some, giving me some, giving me a little more, giving him. When I stop doing that he realized yeah i i don't miss the wine either he might have yeah. one of his really yeah. hoppy ipa beers and that's that's all he needs and that's good enough for him but he's completely recognized uh the impact of of the alcohol in his life as well too and um mm-hmm. so so you know <laughs> by association he certainly has reduced and changed his re- relationship with alcohol and i, I know that's, there's that's a big exactly debate right now yeah. And I know there's a big debate right now about moderation versus complete. 
that's a whole nother conversation, obviously, but, mm-hmm. but for, for a lot of people, it, it can be challenging um, if one partner um, is completely stopping drinking and the other partner uh, isn't. Very we have alcohol, we have alcohol in our house. Uh, I'm one of those people that, that is, you know, it's, it's a, it's a personal choice. It's just not my choice anymore. Yeah. Well done. Good to you, Rebecca. So, um, Rebecca, it's, it's really been amazing to have you um, on this podcast. Thank you so much. And for the work that you do is just uh, amazing. And we do Thank hope you, we get Rory. to cross paths again. Let me just make sure where we can find um, Rebecca. So, Rebecca Brand, you can find Rebecca at uh, Rebecca Brand, that's two C, Rebecca Brand.ca. Um, and also on Instagram at Rebecca Brand.ca. Um, again, Rebecca's book is called Shelter from Our Secrets, Silence and Shame, How Our Stories Can Keep Us Stuck or Set Us Free. Um, so please check it. And you're in Challenges Group, Rebecca? You're in the yes. Challenges community? Yes. Great. So yes. people can find you out there and when the podcast goes live, we'll, we'll, we'll share it into there. Thank you once again for coming on the podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you. Any final parting words of wisdom or support for anyone thinking about changing their relationship with alcohol? Oh, goodness, do it. Um, This will be, this will change your life. Changing your relationship with alcohol will change your life. It will. Well said. Absolutely. I back that one 100%. (laughs) Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Rebecca. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you, Rory. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the One Year No Beer podcast, where our mission is to share and tell the stories of the everyday heroes who are taking the steps to make a meaningful impact by changing their relationship with alcohol. If you want to join our community and find out more about the variety of benefits that you can enjoy by becoming part of our 80,000 plus members within our alcohol-free movement, then click the link in the show notes below. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the aging process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford, and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.